The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, my friend Gary lives from day to day. He'll eat, drink, sleep, work, and then there's the weekend. Whoopee! And then repeat. Recently, he got made redundant. And now Gary is applying for a new job. And he's got the interview. And he's preparing. And as he's preparing, he knows that he just might get asked this question. Gary, where would you like to be in five years' time? And it's made Gary think a bit. Maybe he should be a bit more serious about his life. Maybe he should set some goals. Now, Linda was over the moon when she scored a summer internship at a big global company. And then she got a graduate position. She celebrated with all her friends. Woohoo! And every performance review that she's had, she's met the goals, the targets. She's been made manager and now she's senior manager and she's still in her 20s. Linda has met every target, every goal that she has set for herself. But does Linda have the right goals? Now, Tony has been lonely, waiting for the special someone in his life, someone to enjoy meals with, movies with, the weekends with, a companion. Tony's goal is to be happy. And to reach this goal, he's willing to compromise, compromise spiritually. You see, he's just found someone, but someone who's walking in the opposite direction to him when it comes to the spiritual life. What does the future hold for Tom? Today, we're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And maybe it's a bit like an extended emailed letter. It's from Paul the Christian leader who's behind bars, on the inside, for sharing the Christian message. That's how dangerous the Roman authorities thought the Christian message was. And maybe even in, you can think of some countries in the world today where it's still considered as dangerous as that. And it's written to the Philippians. Now, Philippi is in modern-day Greece and on Wikipedia, it tells us that it was declared a World Heritage Site just this year. And the subject of this part of Philippians today is setting goals and reaching these goals. Just previously, Paul has warned the Philippians that you can't get right with God through religion. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much money you give, no matter how zealous you are in your religiosity, you can't get right with God that way. Because getting right with God is all about relationship and relationship with Jesus. With this part of the letter, Paul is talking about goals and reaching your goals. And it can be split into three parts. Firstly, setting goals in verse 12, reaching your goals, verse 13 to 16, and the resources for this in the remaining verses. 
Well, firstly, setting goals. Uh, reading people's resumes, sometimes I see people choose to put their goal, their mission statement for life at the top of their resume. Maybe it's something like to become a well-rounded finance professional offering client-centred service. Uh, other, uh, our workplaces often have mission statements and goals. The favourite one that I've heard was the one uh, that was that every human being on planet Earth would have a can of Coke in their hand. I think they've done pretty well, haven't they? Well, what goal do you have for your life, for your work, for your career? What's your goal? Paul views his life as if he's running a race. This journey of life is like a race. And it's a race that he hasn't finished yet. He's still running it. So he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived. He's running the race, his life, with a goal. So he hasn't arrived yet at his goal. And what's this goal? This goal is a mature perfected relationship with Jesus. This goal is a spiritual goal to reach full maturity as someone who follows and trusts Jesus. Here's a picture of a marathon. I understand it's the Sydney Marathon which begins in North Sydney and 42 long kilometres later finishes in Sydney Olympic Park. I had a go at uh, running the first 10 k's of this a number of years ago. And I remember going across the Harbour Bridge and all the traffic was closed and I felt so privileged that it was closed just for me to run across. And I remember I was doing uh, my personal best and I arrived at Fox Studios, I think. And I thought I was doing so well. I'd found someone to uh, model myself off. I'd run at the pace. Whenever he slowed down, I'd slow down. Whenever he ran up, I, I would I kept... And then when I got there, woohoo, I got there. I was so happy. And then he kept going. Then I realised he was doing the marathon. I was only going as fast as someone who's got 32 more k's to go. Well, Paul has yet to... Paul has started the Christian journey. He's put his trust in Jesus, but he's yet to finish the race. He has yet to arrive. He's still on the way to this goal. He says... Uh, Verse 12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Uh, Pressing on, running the Christian race is hard work. I don't know, uh, I I don't run anymore these days. It's uh, no no good for me. I don't think no good for your knees and all that. Think of all the runners and all the injuries they get. It's not worth it. It's much better to walk. Just walk fast. I, I do it by running after the train or the bus. That's my exercise. But uh, once upon a time, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, whether you walk or swim, you, you, the first couple of laps of the swim or the first couple of minutes of the swim, you're going, you're going, you're going, and you, you go, I can't go anymore. I, I, just, I don't want to stop. I want to stop. But then if you've got the perseverance to press on, to push on, you reach a certain point after which you go, wow, this is okay. I'm in the rhythm and I feel like I can go forever now. Do you, do you ever get that? Well, I get that when I do laps in uh, North, North Sydney Pool. My threshold is uh, 10 laps. If I can reach all the laps up to the 10 laps, I go, oh, I want to stop, I want to stop. But once I finish, uh, I get over the 10 laps, oh, the other 10 laps are easy. Well, uh, to press on. 
Uh, press on towards the goal. It's not easy in this spiritual race. And remember, the, the, the goal is maturity, spiritual maturity. Right? So that's all about setting your goal. How about reaching your goal? To reach your goal, you need a strategy and a vision. Firstly, strategy. Paul gives us a strategy, a threefold strategy. Number one, leave the past in the past. So Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Uh, think of Paul and his need to forget what is behind, to leave the past in the past. After all, Paul was someone as a religious Jew, persecuted the Christians. He arrested the Christians and put them in jail. And when they got executed, he approved of their deaths. Now he finds himself in the same position as someone who's come to embrace the Christian faith and now he's on the inside. But imagine all the, the guilt that must weigh on Paul's conscience from time to time in terms of all the, all the evils that he was responsible for. In another part of the New Testament, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. But Paul is able to leave the past in the past, to forget what's behind. Uh, what's your spiritual history? What's your moral history? Whatever it is, when you come to Jesus, you can start afresh with a brand new slate. You can leave the past in the past. Don't let it bog you down. Move on. Number two, focus on the future. So Paul says, straining towards what is ahead. Be goal-oriented. Strain towards the future. I think uh, our Olympic athletes have this in mind when they strain towards what lies ahead. Uh, my favourite swimmer is Ian Thorpe. I like him because uh, his surname, the first three letters of his surname, is my name. And I like him because he's fast. And uh, watch him go as he reaches the finish line and strains towards the finish line. Paul is focused on the future, on what's ahead, perfect maturity in Jesus, and he strains towards it. Number three, to work hard. Paul says, press on. They're straining, pressing on. This is hard work. Go through whatever the threshold is when you keep wanting to give up. Push through that barrier and keep going. Keep going for the prize. The prize of being right with God. The prize of enjoying eternity with God in heaven. This is goal-oriented effort for a prize. And yet, uh, broader, broader than what we're just looking at here, we know that this prize is not something that you earn. It's not through how good you are. It's not through your religious deeds. It is by grace. It's given to you as a gift, not through what you do, your spiritual performance. Now, if it's by grace, if it's a gift, you would think that it would lead to lazy converts, to unmotivated followers of Jesus. But it has been said that salvation, getting right with God, is by faith alone, by trusting Jesus alone. But faith is never alone. Faith is always accompanied 
by a transformed life. And it seems to make sense in my experiential observation that people who know that they have been saved not through anything they do, that now they are free and they are free to please God with the whole of their lives. And they don't do it because they're under a a religious burden. They do it because they want to thank God. They want to live a life of gratitude to God. And they do it from the heart. So, that salvation by grace, it doesn't mean slack, unprepared followers of Jesus. It means, and we can see it here as Paul describes it, that you work even harder. Forget the past. Strain towards the future. Press on. To reach your goal, secondly, you need a vision, the right view. Verse 15 says, All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And to reach your goal, you need clarity. The vision needs to be clear. And if on some point, Paul says, you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Paul is confident that God will make the vision the big picture, clear. In the Christian race, the spiritual journey, no one, not even Paul, the Christian leader, has arrived. He's still striving towards maturity and it's going to take a lot of hard work. With the goal set, the strategy set, we have verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That is... Live up to your salvation. You are already right with God through faith. Now run the race with all your effort. Leave the past behind, focus on the future and keep chasing the goal. Or in corporate speak, is it execute the vision. In the spiritual journey, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you tempted to give up? Press on. Don't burn out. Uh, Pace yourself because the spiritual journey is not a sprint. It's not the 100-metre dash. It's the 42-kilometre marathon. And so pace yourself for the long haul. To reach your goal, not only does it require hard work on your part, there are also resources at hand. Firstly, mentors or examples. And when it comes to examples, there are, of course, good examples and bad examples. Look for good mentors. Paul puts himself forward as a positive role model. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. You have us as a model, he says. So he is effectively saying, do you want to see what it looks like to follow Jesus, to run the Christian race, to work hard? Look at me, he says. So Paul is inviting us to have him as our spiritual mentor. And if you read the New Testament And the story of Paul's life, there is no one who works harder. Uh, There's no one who puts the interests of other people more uh, uh, before their own than he does. And so much so that we know that he's in jail for doing it. 
Who are you following in your life? I've got friends who follow Warren Buffett on their LinkedIn thing or their Facebook thing. With his uh, positive track record, he is their model and mentor when it comes to investing. Uh, For me, in another sphere of life, Roger Federer is my model. I love playing tennis and I wish I could model my one-handed backhand of his when I watch him. It's beautiful. In your life, whether it's in your career or in your religious life, who do you model your life off? Not only is Paul a model, but he refers to other people. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Others who have patterned themselves off from Paul's example in the goal he has set and the strategy and vision that he has to reach this goal. I like to pattern myself off dead people. A dead people because they have run the race, the spiritual journey. They have completed it and to consider the fruit of their lives. So I love reading biographies. A little while ago, I read the biography of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael served the poor people in India, both physically and spiritually, with the message, with the Christian message. And she did it not just for a couple of years, but for decades. Did hurdles come in the way of Amy Carmichael's work? Of course they did. But Amy Carmichael pressed on and she served God and the community in India until the day she died. So for pressing on, for perseverance, for a lifetime of service, Amy Carmichael is my spiritual mentor. Then there are the bad examples. Imagine this fella inviting you to drink Coke even if it's Diet Coke, before your run. Uh, Don't follow his example. It wouldn't be a good idea. Drink water, I'm told. I think even all those Gatorade things are no good for you, I'm told. For the bad mentors in running the spiritual race, Paul describes them in verse 18. For, as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul speaks of the bad examples, the people who think that getting right with God is through what you do, through spiritual performance and religiosity. And notice that Paul loves them. He writes about them with tears. But nonetheless, he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, there are two types of enemies. The first type is the clear enemy. They're the type of people who say, you do not need the cross. Jesus didn't have to die. You can get right with God if you pull your socks up, if you just try harder. You can get right with God through your own effort. That's a clear enemy. The second type of enemy is much less clear. These are the types of people who say, yes, You need the cross. You need the cross, but you also need religious works. You need to add to the work of Jesus on the cross 
with your own religious good works. But the net result of that is that you're saying that the work of Jesus on the cross was insufficient to make you right with God. You're saying that Jesus only paid the deposit in your relationship with God and you've got to keep making instalments until it's fully paid off. In either case, you make yourself an enemy of the cross of Christ. Following these bad examples leads to a disastrous end. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. How good is this picture? This man with a huge belly, and what I like about it, he's got a huge belly and he's proud of it. See that big smile on his face. Their God is their stomach. It's not that they love eating to excess, but it's that they are obsessed by sensual things. What you eat or don't eat, what you drink or don't drink, what you wear or don't wear, these things are their obsessions. And these characterise some of the religions of our world, don't they? Uh, Whether it's in Buddhism, the religion I grew up in, or in Judaism or Islam, and also some strands of Christianity, that the main thing is about what you eat or don't eat, what you drink or don't drink, what you wear. And even for people who don't consider themselves spiritual, what's talk about in the office? The latest place to eat, the the best coffee shop to go to, uh, the new range of fashion from Uniqlo, uh, what car you drive, or what suburb you live. All these earthly, temporary things. Their mind, Paul says, verse 19, is set on earthly things. Their religion is characterised by temporary, earthly things. Besides having the right models or mentors, we need encouragement. If we trust Jesus, where do we belong? This afternoon, I'm hoping to go to the Vietnamese consulate in Edgecliff uh, with my passport. If I trust Jesus, where do I belong? I'll have a look and my nationality will say Australian. And yes, I belong in Australia, but where do I truly belong? What does it say on my spiritual passport? My citizenship is in heaven. I love being an Australian citizen, but even better, the privileges of being a citizen of heaven. Where I don't need to worry about the do's and don'ts that characterise earthly religion. And where I can be sure that despite my imperfect life, that there's a place for me in the heavenly country. A citizenship where, unlike some of our I've got many Chinese friends trying to get enough points to get Australian citizenship. Citizenship where I don't have to earn it through uh, doing lots of uh, extra degrees at university and paying lots of money, but citizenship that's given to me as a gift. And as a citizen of heaven, I'll be like a dog, a dog waiting for its master to come home. I wait eagerly to see my master, Jesus. Verse 20 We eagerly await 
for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who knows what the acronym POTUS stands for? President of the United States. So, one uh, very, very soon, President Trump will have at his command Air Force One, Limo One, Helicopter One, and I imagine Station Wagon One. He will be the Commander-in-Chief of the US military. Now, if the President of the United States is the most powerful person in the free world, Jesus, Philippians chapter 3 says, is the most powerful person in the universe. Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. This is the world leader who has the power to bring everything in creation under his control, including Monday night's supermoon. Uh, who had a go at looking out for the supermoon? Where, where did you go? Okay, well, Jesus has power over the sun and the moon and everything in creation. And he'll use this power to transform us, to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, even though, as you look at me, you see this fine specimen of a man, uh, my body is riddled with arthritis. So currently, I take heaps of anti-inflammatories and uh, painkillers every morning with my breakfast. At the moment, I think it's about six tablets. But thank God, I, uh, I'm pretty active, and you can't tell. But I'm looking forward to transformation, when my lowly, bo- broken body will be like the resurrected, perfect body of Jesus, without arthritis, without inflammation, without aches and pains every morning. Well, that's the power that's at work for those who put their trust in Jesus with these goals. Finally, Paul reminds the Philippian followers of Jesus that they're loved and valued. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. The Philippians need to keep running the Christian spiritual race to not give up, but stand firm, to chase their maturity in their relationship with God, to forget what lies behind, to strain forwards to what lies ahead and to press on. So the last word on goal setting and the three stories. Remember Gary, who's a bit aimless, living day to day without a big picture for life. Uh, my friend Gary is a worker in his 30s, but he's still living like a teenager in terms of responsibility for life. Uh, it would be great, I reckon, if Gary would set some goals for himself in work, in life, 
and especially in his spiritual walk, that Gary might chase maturity in all aspects of life. And it'd be great if he had good role models in his life, good role models who might love him, care for him, support him, and encourage him to take positive steps forward to grow. Remember Linda, who is hitting goal after goal, climbing the corporate ladder at a cracking pace. She's senior manager and still in her 20s. But what if, as a friend of mine has said, you're climbing the ladder, but your ladder is against the wrong wall? What if Linda is running a race and succeeding, but she's running the wrong race? My prayer for Linda as I think about her, is that she might come to know God and run the race that really matters. Now, Tom, Tom who's found companionship with a special someone. Uh, they've been together for two years now and I've met her and I think she's terrific. She's a lot of fun. But as a result, Tom has walked away from God. Tom has chosen temporary pleasures over trusting God. Tom has failed to press on in the spiritual race. If Tom's goal is just to have fun, Philippians chapter 3 tells us that the end is not good. The destiny, according to Philippians chapter 3, of living a life where we only follow our earthly appetites is not a good one. And so the challenge for me is that I want to love Tom and warn him of God's judgment. The last word on goal setting. Are you running the right race? What are your work, spiritual and life goals? And can you forget what is behind? Strain towards what's ahead and press on. What's your strategy? And will you, in your spiritual race, get the prize that really matters? So what might it actually look like to keep uh, pressing on and to keep working? Um, work hard, working hard, but doing what? So uh, Paul talks about pressing on in running this spiritual journey, but what might it look like to press on and what might it look like to work hard? Well, if we model ourselves off Paul, you can see that his life is shaped by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That he puts his trust in Jesus to make him right with God. And now he's got a life where he sees that he might have uh, all of these uh, benefits that he can have as a Christian leader, uh, whether material benefits in terms of uh, Christian people supporting him materially, uh, and all sorts of other benefits that, that come with being a leader. But Paul is someone who is so, so shaped by Jesus' death and resurrection, and by Jesus' ultimate example is that he always foregoes whatever privileges that he might be entitled to. He doesn't see himself as entitled to those things. He's always willing to give up his rights, so to speak, for the sake of serving other people. So Paul works hard to, even though whatever his gifts, whatever his position might be, to use his gifts and his positions, and his position for the benefit of other people. So a, a part of Philippians that uh, Lachlan would have spoken on, Philippians chapter 2, 
where Paul, where Paul exhorts the audience to consider Jesus, who, even though he was equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to grasp for himself. What did he do with his status as God? He humbled himself and made himself nothing, uh, becoming a servant. And not just a servant, but someone who, who dies on a cross for the sake of other people. So what might it look like uh, for us to, to press on to work hard? It's to live sacrificially for the benefit of other people in our day-to-day work. That our, our day-to-day work in, in our offices and, and workplaces is not just to benefit ourselves. Yes, you know, we, we've got to benefit ourselves as we earn an income and provide for ourselves provide for our dependents. But the work that we do, it's got to benefit other people in our workplace, benefit other people in society. And with work that benefits other people, we do that wholeheartedly. We work hard to make sure that that work gets done well because it's going to, be, it's going to bear fruit in terms of something positive in the lives of other people. And the bigger picture, the bigger picture is in terms of people's eternal destiny. Uh, how, how might we press on, how might we work hard that other people, uh, their eternal destiny might be secure? Um, so a question has just come in for, so a, a concrete example uh, might be giving money to charity or, or you know, how much do I need to give to make sure that I'm saved? So a concrete example of working hard, of being uh, invested into the things of eternity is uh, giving money of uh, using your financial resources for the benefit of other people. And was that second part? How much must I give in order to, to be saved? Mm. Everything. <laughs> so uh, if you are a multi-billionaire, thank you for being here, uh, or, or whatever you've got, you've got to give everything. So this is a story of a rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus. And this is a rich young ruler. You know, he's got all the status. Uh, he's got all the wealth. He runs up to Jesus and says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, what is Jesus telling him? Give up everything to follow me. Now this rich young ruler has got to give up all his intellect, all of his financial resources. He's got to give up his whole life to follow Jesus. He's got to put all of his trust in Jesus rather than in his good looks, in his status, in his money. He's got to put all his trust in Jesus. And a concrete way of doing that is that everything that he has is at the disposal of Jesus as his master to use. And the sad thing that happens in that story is that he walks away from Jesus sad. Why? Because he's more willing to trust in the power of his wealth to give him a good life than to put his trust in Jesus, the master of the universe who provides him that wealth. That the majesty is much more tangible for him to live a good life than to put his trust in Jesus for so how much must I give? Uh, it's everything. The, 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 the contrary thing, the contrary uh, contrast to that uh, is that the, the, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, they say to Jesus, if that guy can't go to heaven, what chance do we have? And they say to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has given up uh, relationships given up their jobs, given up their wealth to follow him, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, in this present life, and in the life to come, eternal life. Jesus is promising that whatever you give up, he will provide. He'll provide you with your your needs. Now that might not be a Mercedes Benz, but he'll provide you your needs. That might not be a, a, a 
house on the north shore, but he'll provide you with what you need for food and clothing in order to serve him. Um, yeah. So no amount of money can get you right with God. It's not, not a religious work thing. It's only faith in Jesus. But once you put your faith in Jesus, your whole life, everything you have, your intellect, your experiences, your financial resources, are to be used for the benefit of other people. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.